Good morning, my friend. I am so excited to be with you today. It is July the 1st. We are in the back half of 2023, and it's Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. I've got an unbelievable Everyday Hope episode for you today. Um, mutual friend reached out and said, hey, I got this friend who wrote an incredible book called Life is Hard, but I'll be okay. And he is a great guy and you're going to love him. You guys are going to hit it off. And I, you know, I get those kinds of emails frequently and it took me a while to, to get around to my reading queue to add Johnny Serpilla's book. And when I did, I was like, holy cow, this guy, <laughs> you got to get this guy on the show. So I reached out. Johnny graciously agreed to sit down uh, for a little while on Zoom yesterday. And we had an unbelievable conversation. So much so that I decided I would get up early this morning and edit it and get it ready for you. Uh, I was going to wait a couple of weeks to release this one, but I just, I'm, I'm super pumped about the conversation that we had. And I think Johnny's message, his heart, his resilience, and his story of how you can pivot from the worst thing that could possibly happen to a parent. He and his wife lost their triplet babies shortly after they were born, otherwise healthy pregnancy. Everybody seemed to be doing well. And then tragedy struck around the time of delivery and they lost their three children after years of fertility work and trying to have babies. This, this unspeakable event could have been the thing that defined them and took them out. And just as we talk about it in my new book, Hope is the First Dose, which is coming out on July 18th, Johnny and his wife figured out a plan. And that plan was based on faith. It was based on the idea that their lives had to mean something more than just the incredible loss that they've been through. And this episode is a great conversation of Johnny's life and his story and and how he pivots from hard things. And and we just had a great conversation. And you're going to be so challenged and inspired by Johnny Serpilla's story. Johnny is an entrepreneur, a widely sought after public speaker. He's on the board of directors of numerous corporations, including the board of directors of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I think is really cool. Johnny was the owner and operator of Serpilla RV, which in 1995 was the RV dealership of the year in the United States. And he was subsequently one of the first companies purchased by Camping World as Camping World was really taking off and ended up running the the whole camping world operation for several years, 14 years before he retired. He now professionally uh, sits on boards, invests in companies, runs a family business called Encourage LLC that has uh, investments aimed at increasing stewardship and leadership in numerous corporations. He's a just an incredibly well-rounded, thoughtful, articulate guy. But he has a powerful story of loss and hope and doubt and faith and recovery and pivoting from trauma and tragedy and massive things to the the way back forward again. And he's used his story to help other people. And everything he did in leadership was about changing toxic cultures and moving things forward so people could be the best version of themselves and develop their own personal brand and take ownership of their space. And just an incredible conversation. You're going to you're going to learn so much from Johnny Serpilla. And I was just incredibly grateful that Clay Risk connected us. And uh, we, we had just an really just a fun and inspiring conversation. And there were numerous moments where I was really taken by a particular thing that he talked about. And I realized that those individual things could be entire podcast episodes in and of themselves. So there may very well be some additional Johnny Serpilla episodes down the road if I can convince him to come back on the show in the future and talk again. But remember, this is a wonderful example of everyday hope, a normal guy and his family experiencing major troubles and finding a way forward through faith, hope, and love. 
Johnny Serpilla will help you understand that you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is, as Lisa's going to tell us, is you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it, and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to introduce a new friend to you today. I've got um, an incredible guy with a great story and an amazing book that I just told you about. Johnny Serpilla is with us today on the show. Welcome, Johnny. Lee, thank you so much. It's, it's an honor, truly an honor to be here. It's awesome to have you. Uh, you're dialing in from uh, Ohio today, right? That's right. Canton, Ohio today. That's awesome. And you're going to be down in Bonita Springs, Florida, November 12th and 13th. Uh, Lisa and I will be there at First Presbyterian Church again uh, to talk. So if you're uh, in the Bonita Springs area, listener, uh, we'll release that information a little bit more later. But we'd love to meet you all. Come on by the church and Johnny and I will be there and our, our mutual friend Clay Risk is the reason we're That's having right. this conversation today. So shout out to Dr. Clay Risk. And, and uh, Johnny, it's good to see your face. And uh, I spent uh, some time reading your book, and you did such a nice job um, laying out your story and, and really some hopeful and encouraging things. I thought it'd be a great conversation for my show. And I thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Really an honor. Awesome. Well, give us a give us a little background on where you've the ground you've covered in your life, kind of the thirty thousand foot view, and then we'll dial in to some of those hard things in a few minutes. But give us kind of an overview of Johnny Sapilla. So, my wife and I consider ourselves the lucky ones. I mean, we were both raised in uh, faith based families, um, committed parents, um, taught the value of hard work, honesty, integrity, and faith at the center of our lives. Um, good family members around us. And so we really went off to college, uh, which is where we met uh, about a month before college graduation. And we went off with this, you know, mindset of set goals and achieve them and then set new goals and achieve them. And and that life was just going to continue to go that way. And so we really did have those blessings and a strong foundation, which we're so thankful for. Yeah. Um, much of that has has helped prepare me for the difficulties and life that have, has developed um, over our 32 years of marriage. And so uh, what the story that I wrote my book about, because life did get hard, and yeah. I recognize fully that the blessings that we've had um, in our lives are significant. And so other people uh, have it harder. But when you judge tragedy in lives, there's really no scale to put it to, right? Okay. And and so it, it's not a, a, a point of comparison of who had it worse. Um, it's not about that. It's about recognizing how to each of us with the life experiences that we have 
How do we deal with those while clinging on to our faith as opposed to running from it? And then with this, um, the challenges that we experienced, uh, it prepared me for the type of husband, father, and business leader that I was um, going to be and that I hope to be. And I, I had the bless, blessing of uh, leading on, on a national stage in a company with over 10,000 employees and $4 billion of revenue. And so the business career got big um, and surrounded with amazing executives um, to lead with. And it was from that that I really started to fully comprehend and understand in my darkest times how I was prepared to be able to do so much more uh, with influence and reaching out to others. Wow. And you write about it beautifully in, in all the different ways that you had to pivot. And, and you know, I guess, well, for you, first of all, your, your business, you, you kind of blew past that, but you had kind of an impressive business career. Um, your, your father started an RV dealership, right? And then you took that over and, and kind of turned it into something pretty remarkable. Tell, tell us about that for a second. So I was uh, one of those family business kids that had their industry chosen for them. My dad uh, picked my major in accounting. When I went off to college, I said, yes, sir. And off I went. Um, <laughs> but he was a pioneer in the RV industry. And I was honored to uh, step in after working in Chicago for a few years and gaining some experience, then stepping back into the business. Um, by the time I was 28, uh, my dad um, was hit pretty hard with cancer. And so he was no longer uh, working full time or in the business. And so I was on my own from there. Um, at 36, I was approached by a company, Camping World, that was just starting to get into the sales side of the industry. They had um, about 30 locations across the country in service and accessories, but they never sold RVs, which is kind of the, the meat and potatoes of the industry. Yeah. And so I was one of the first acquisitions, and I was blessed to grow um, in that company. And we we grew it up to a couple hundred stores um, like I said, billions of dollars of revenue, and I was um, honored to serve as president uh, for a long time. And then after that, um, promoted into the chief business development officer in the parent company for Camping World and Good Sam. Wow. So you covered a lot of ground there. Was that so was was taking your father's business and your family business into somebody else's business family? Was there some was there some pain or some some uh, challenge associated with that? No, that's a great question because, um, you know, you could look at it very pragmatically from a business and dollars and cents standpoint. And I knew that I was going to be able to provide my 80 employees with a lot more opportunities. If they wanted to move to another location, you know, I'd be able to have jobs for them, you know, across the country and for our customers as well. I'd be able to have service facilities for them all across the country. So business wise, I certainly saw that very clear as a win. Um, outside of economic benefits and those type of things. But when you think about, you know, selling a family business that was older than I was, my dad had the business before he had me, yeah. um, you know, that that's tough, right? It That's a difficult situation to um, sell my dad's dream. The business wasn't necessarily my dream, um, but I found a way to make it my dream. Although I wasn't passionate about the lifestyle of RVing because we were not RVers as a family. Yeah. Um, what I was passionate about was keeping families together and creating amazing family recreation for them and creating family memories. Cause I'm all about family. 
So that was really early on in my rethinking and reframing that became so critical in our lives as the difficulties hit. I had that foundational professional experience of kind of reframing how I connect into this business. Because if I don't connect into it as a user of the product, where's my way in that I'm passionate to ensure that my team is really feeling the weight? Um, Ironically, talking with you, Doctor, I I would say to my team, look, we're not brain surgeons here. We're not providing uh, brain surgery, but we have something really important that what we do and we are providing for family recreation, a time for them when they might only get a week or two, a year of vacation to reconnect. And we need to create that safe space for them where all their hopes and dreams of that family time with low frustration and get away and recharge their batteries can happen. And I said, that is a huge responsibility that we have. And so um, that was my connection and my path into the industry to be really passionate about the work that I did. Well, that's a man. There's a there's a book right there, uh, Johnny, you know, this this idea that sometimes we find ourselves in in a position in life and it's not what we thought. It's not our dream. It's not our what we thought was going to be our place. But there's a way to pivot that mindset to find the blessing of where you are. And how to make it work for you and for those around you. I love that. There's there's a there's some big lessons in there. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's it, it's powerful to own that because as opposed to um I, I hate victim mentality, and, yeah. and I'll touch on that even um one of the chapters in the book, uh, as you know, is entitled Why Not Us? Because we yeah. never had that thought of why me? God, why did this happen to me? Um, why not me? Bad things happen to good people all the time. And so if this is my cross to bear, let's go. Let's figure this out. It's that same thing professionally, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm stuck in this job um, and, and it's too late for me to leave because I've invested 15 years already and the money's good, but I'm not passionate about it. Find those connecting points. And and I, I challenge people that when they really look for those they're oftentimes there. And maybe most significantly, the way that the, it is there, Lee, is to actually engage in leadership, in real leadership, to ensure that we are being a positive influence for the people that we are interacting with and leading. If we're blessed to have the role of supervisor or manager or president or vice president, so that we can pour into them positively in their workday, so that when they go home, they can take that same positive energy into their home where there might be challenges in marriage or with children. And conversely, if we pour into them negativity, they bring that into their home. And so you want to change the American family, change the American workforce and the American culture at work where people oftentimes spend more time there than they do with their family and lift them up to send them home to create great things to happen so that they can be re-energized and that full cycle and come back into work positive. So there's, there's also a way uh, to to find that in and humanity. Wow. I love that listener. We're getting some good stuff from Johnny Serpilla here. Listen, wherever you find yourself in your life, in my, my new book, we talk about these massive things that happen. We're getting ready to talk about a massive thing in Johnny's life, but sometimes those massive things are not 
you lost your spouse, you lost your child, you, you found out you had cancer. Sometimes it's, it's your dream dies or you find yourself in a place that, that life isn't just playing out the way you thought it was going to. And there is a way you can take Johnny's advice. There's a way you can pivot that mindset and you can turn that dark situation into something positive. Maybe it's to bless someone else. Maybe it's to turn your future around. Maybe it's to just make yourself see that there are still blessings around you wherever you are. Johnny Chappelle is laying it down for us this morning. <laughs> I love it. We're going to, we're going to talk more about that, but you know, sometimes Johnny, the, the, the big massive thing is that massive thing, that, that thing, the parent never wants to hear the thing, the spouse never wants to hear. And for you and your wife, it happened around the birth of your first children, right? What, tell us your story there. So we were um, hopeful. We were young. We felt that we had it all. We had a, a great marriage. Our careers were going well. Um, and uh, it was just all good. And we ran into fertility problems. And, and so for me, as a guy that family is everything, if I wasn't going to be able to be a father uh, and my wife a mother, I saw an emptiness in our lives. Yeah. Um, we became pregnant after years of trying and very pregnant uh, with triplets. Mm-hmm. And uh, we enjoyed um, just the future and the dreams of what was going to be ahead of us um, and, and really felt that we understood Oh God, now we see why we had this struggle because what you have in store for us was so big. We couldn't even think that big to think that we could have three babies at once. And, and, uh, I was always fascinated with multiples. And so the, the, the dream of having twins, um, was always in my mind. Um, never the dream so big to have triplets. And so when Nicholas, Mary and Peter were born, we had two sons and a daughter. Our lives, purpose seemed to be so fulfilled um, and and clearly understood. And unfortunately, Nicholas, Mary and Peter passed away um, as infants and our lives turned dark pretty quickly. And we found ourselves in a, in a new place of not only um, back to infertility, uh, which almost seemed irrelevant um, because the scale of what we were feeling to us was so much bigger with the loss that we had. Yeah. That's devastating. And and you and you write so vulnerably and honestly about what you felt and what you were going through there. But something that that was re- remarkable to me that you said, I mean right after that, like you recognized that losing your children revealed some things in you about your work environment and about the way you were living your life that that were challenges to you. You sort of wanted to honor your children by changing, making some changes in your own life. And, and, and talk about that for a moment, like how, how you recognize some toxic things around you and in your work. And, 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 and you, out of those ashes, out of that devastating moment, you began to find some rays of hope and you turned things around a little bit that made a difference for you. Well, Leah, as you know, after burying a child um, or, ch- or children, anyone that's experienced that the, the daily grind becomes almost too much. Yeah. Um, getting out of bed is, is a question mark every day um, right. following that. And I say the time leading up to the funeral and after the funeral was just nothing short of confusing That's right. um, because you can't quite comprehend the motions that you're going through and standing in shoes that you never thought you would be standing in. So the daily task became so challenging. Yeah. Um, and, and for us, our 
comfort space, our safe space was at the cemetery. What was being revealed to me over that period of time was the thought that others that weren't as blessed as Susan and I were to have loving, supportive parents and to be in stable homes and being raised in faith, um, that the challenges that they were experiencing in life, they may not have been as well prepared as we were or have the support system that we had. And we had, of course, amazing, um, our, our faith group of friends, which are truly our faith family of mm-hmm. about nine other couples. I mean, just surrounded us and wrapped uh, their arms around us. Our family did, um, friends. So we were in such a good position of support, yet we were still in a very, very dark place. And so it took me professionally to say, okay, I got to get back to work. My wife was going to return to her work in the pharmaceutical industry. And what I found was in my own company that I was running, that I was ultimately responsible for the culture in that company. I got back to work and what I heard daily in biting comments, disrespect, um, work pressures that could be written off by some as just normal work pressures. I found myself in such a position that I literally couldn't handle it. I, I had no capacity left. And what it made me realize is how insensitive I was to my employees to think that they needed to leave their personal problems at home. And when they come in the work, into work and when they're on the clock, I need all of them. And that is reasonable as employers. You yeah. need your surgical team to be all on board when they're in work. Personal problems or not. It's a fair request. But the baseline understanding of what they're going through at home, we need to be aware of. Because there's times at work that we got to take them out of the game because we recognize that their home struggles um, don't have their mind fully present. And so from there, it really created the leadership um, model that I wanted to have in my company and then bring with, with me going forward. Uh, basically that speaks to the responsibility that we have as employers. Wow. So you found a, a way to to harness that pain and, and use it to be more aware of other people and more empathetic to what they were going through. And at the same time, changing the culture of your work environment. I think that's so honoring uh, of your children and, and uh, just of who you and your wife are. And, and I just, I love the way you wrote about that. And you said something else. You wrote a whole chapter about it, as you alluded to earlier, about it dawned on you that the question, when, when life brings us pain, the question really isn't, why me? The question really is, why not me? If you look at the, the large human experience, everybody goes through, most people go through these massive things. So, so talk about that for a moment. Unpack it, this, this why not me idea, because I think it's really it has the power to be really transformational in people's lives when they're, when they're hurting. Why not me, Johnny, tell us about that. So I think why not me comes from the way that I was raised and it, and it shows the power that we have with our kids. So for any of the parent listeners out there um, or future parent listeners out there, the power that we have in our kids to instill in them that thought that why not, why me isn't the question to ask. And and that was something that with my parents, I really wasn't able to ask that question a lot. It was um, with there are blessings in your life and it's okay that this happened. And there's other people that have it worse. 
the worst thing that you can say to somebody when something bad happens to them is that other people have it worse, right? Because the context right there isn't appropriate for them to hear that. But if you're talking about that through regular life challenges, it can become ingrained in your mind. And so I'm very, very thankful for that training for my parents because when we entered into therapy, we felt that we kind of entered in a few grade levels ahead of others because we didn't spend time on that topic. And we were so aware of the why me topic because probably the most common thing that was said to us, whether it was in the receiving line for the funeral or when people saw us around town, is I'm sure you're just so caught up in why me. Mm. And and I was able always able to say to them, you know, not at all. Not at all why me. Why not me? Look in this world. And so that was empowering, I think, as a first step for us to try to figure out how to heal and move forward that led the foundation for what became the mission that we had is that Nicholas, Mary, and Peter were not going to be a tragedy in our lives. Yeah, That felt so dishonoring for them um, to just have a tragic life. Um, because while our time together was short, it was innocent, it was pure, it was faith-filled, it was truly the most connected that we felt to Christ in our entire lives. And it was really a beautiful experience, minus the pain, right? And remove pain and insert gratitude for having a life experience that that so other few have that we were able to see humanity through an entirely different lens. And literally while having our hearts ripped out, being able to put it back in, our hearts back in, mended and healed um, without anger and without turning towards each other in tension and so in anger towards each other. So we not that either one of us had done anything wrong, but the statistics of couples that divorce yep. post loss of a child is is staggering. And so that's something that we were very mindful of and, and we were counseled on the importance of working together and grieving together and accepting that our paths are going to be different, even though we experience the same child loss. But from the female perspective and the male perspective, Susan had physical connections to them, right? As she grew them that I had just holding her belly and feeling the kicks, right? So it's very different, our experience physically um, and even emotionally, emotionally more similar than, than physically. But we wasted no time in that space of God, why did this happen to us? Wow. What's so a lot of people will, will have this question. And I know when we lost our son, it, it, there is some moments, even if they're brief, there are some moments where you doubt, you, you, you struggle, you, you worry, you, you, you're angry, all those things. Everybody has those feelings, but what role does faith play in that for you? And how do you think people get through that when they don't have that faith element? I, I've been studying people with brain cancer and people with bereavement after losing children for years. And, and I have opinions about that, but how, from your perspective, like how do you get through something like that without faith? What does faith do in that equation for you, Johnny? I, I don't know how we would have gotten through it without faith. I, re, I really don't uh, because 
our faith and our belief system is that Nicholas, Mary, and Peter are still together. Yeah. They are with Christ. They are with others that we love. Um, they are in the place that we're striving for. And we felt that in their innocence and purity, in their perfection, if you will, made in Christ's image, that they were perfectly suited for heaven, wow. where they didn't have the life experience of regrets and mistakes and errors that we need to repent. And and um, and we know that, you know, we don't get into heaven based on our works. We get into heaven based on God's grace. But, yeah. you know, I, I think that they certainly had um, greater graces than I deserve, <laughs> um, right. potentially. And so without faith, I, I just simply don't know. Um, the idea that we're going to be reunited um, and that it is temporary for our time apart um, really meant a lot. Um, and then also to communicate with them and have relationships with them when they're not here, um, have relationships with them through the other children that God did bless us with. You know, we just prayed for God to send us the children that we're meant to raise, you know, stopping the prayer on pregnancy and all those things, because just God would send us the children you want us to raise. And he did just that, you know, through, through adoption and, and two miracle crazy pregnancies that you read about. Yeah. Um, and so then it's a matter of how do we take this, these six kids and have them know each other. We had full confidence that Nicholas, Mary and Peter, Peter were going to know Bo, Bella and Stone and watch over them as guardians. We had full confidence in that. Our humanly challenge came to how do we get Bo, Bella and Stone to know their older siblings? Wow. That's been, that's been a thing for us too. You know, we have four grandchildren that weren't alive when their uncle Mitch died. And, and for us, it's how do we keep that alive? So he's a real person to them and not just a a fiction, you know, out there. It's it's a real challenge for bereaved parents. I I respect that. So, you know, we talked a second ago and and I forgot as we got into the episode, we talked about praying and I think this feels like a time when we should pray. Um, Johnny, there's somebody out there that's listening to this episode inevitably that in the the recent months or days even has hit this massive moment in their life and they've lost someone or they've learned of a diagnosis, something massive is happening. And so maybe um, give us what you would say to somebody that's in that acute moment right after this big thing has happened in their life. And then maybe let's, and let's pray about it after that. All right. Absolutely. Um, Well, first, um, you know, what I would say to them, and then I'll turn it right into prayer is, you know, I want to, reach out to anyone right now who's finding life to be hard and without making excuses of yes, but I have it so good because I have loving parents or because I have a supporting spouse or I have a good job. Life being hard comes in so many forms, Um, whether it's professional challenges that we have at work. I mean, 80% of people say that the uh, biggest relationship challenge that they have in their life is with their boss um, over their life partner. And so when you look at stats like that, it tells us that hardship comes in many ways. It comes through loss of a child, loss of a parent. Even if your parent dies in their 80s, there's yeah. still loss. And and so I want to talk about um, and first set the mindset for the prayer that there is um, varying levels of hard times and the good things that you have around you doesn't make the hard time go away. 
but it gives you tools to rely on to be grateful. Yeah. And, and so that's what I'm going to ask for people to kind of have on their hearts and their minds as we pray. And so I ask uh, listeners for you to bow your heads and to um, open your hearts uh, to the words uh, that Dr. Warren and I are sharing. Uh, please open your hearts to the people that God has put in your path to offer you grace, offer you perspective, offer you a new view at the way to listen uh, to them, to hear their words of encouragement to you, to not be defensive and to be stuck in a mindset of why is this happening to me, but to accept that it has happened and how do I get through it so that I can live more abundantly. Please, listener, don't allow the challenges that you've gone through to be wasted. There's no um, value in wasting a crisis in your life for an opportunity to live more fully post-crisis and to uh, rely on your faith and rely on uh, Christ and, and his love for us and his and good intentions for us. So I ask that you look for the blessings in your life. I ask that you continue to dive deeper in your faith as your life gets harder. And even in the times when your life is in abundance, that you remain in thanks and gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. That was amazing. And I think it, it covers so much ground, this this whole conversation. But the one thing that you've said numerous times now that I think is super important for us to get is the value of relationship and community when you're hurting. Like the trauma for us and for lots of people that I've taken care of in your brain, trauma tries to isolate you and make you feel like nobody's ever hurt as much as I'm feeling as I'm hurting right now. Nobody's ever been as, as messed up as I am. Nobody's ever screwed up as bad as I did. Nobody's ever lost like I have. Trauma individualizes you and, and tries to make you think that nobody else can understand or feel or help or say anything that would be helpful to you. And that's just not true. Those are what I call the lies of trauma. And Johnny's pointed out numerous times, one of the things that got them through the loss, the devastating loss of their three children was the faith family that they had built around them. You know, the Bible's very clear. It says that there's a friend who's closer than a brother. I mean, sometimes your biological family aren't the people that are right there next to you. They're, they're off somewhere else, wherever they live, and you need those people around you. So don't forget that, the community aspect of what Johnny's teaching us here. And the book is Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay by Johnny Serpilla. It's a tremendous look at a tremendous life, and I commend you, Johnny, for writing it and for living it. Um, I'm just so inspired by you. And Clay Risk was right. He said, hey, this guy is going to light you up and you need to hear him and get to know him. And I'm so grateful that Clay put us together. I am as well. He's a special man. Um, a blessing to both of us as a good friend. And, um, you know, what you've written, um, I was a fan um, of, of the wisdom um, that you can step back and see through the hardest moments um, of life. And whether it's happening in your own family, which it did, or happening in other families that you are their advisor and you are their practitioner, um, you, you face those challenges every day and, um, and, and the question and the power of faith. And so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I was a, a better man after reading your book and, and felt um, further confirmed that the, the path that I'm fighting for every day, and I do want to say it's, it's not easy for me to, always keep that mindset, yeah. right? 
Um, while some, some days it's natural, some days the darkness that overtakes us, it's unnatural. I have a very high level of anxiety. I'm medicated for anxiety. I worry about things that likely never happen. Um, yeah. and, but when you have some point of reference of some things happening that maybe you could have never have imagined happening, um, I, I say some of my anxiety is justified and some yeah. of it's a chemical imbalance. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and I get that and it's okay. And, uh, so there's another point there that I've tried to use my anxiety as a force for good in my life. And, and I've, I've said oftentimes that I don't know if I ever want it to really go away because it makes me more thoughtful. Um, uh, it makes me think five chess moves out to ensure that I find myself in a position where I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised about what's going on, that I, I'm prepared and I can handle what's ahead and anxious thinking. Um, gives you that opportunity when you yeah. steer it powerly, uh, powerfully forward. Well, there's, there's a whole nother podcast episode right there. That's right. I mean, it's, it's so wise to say that, that friends, whatever you struggle with can either destroy you, or it can put you in jail, emotional jail, or make you stuck, or you can use it as a way to pivot to become more empathetic to others who struggle with the same problems or to recognize your potential weaknesses and think ahead to how to mitigate them and, and maximize your opportunity of working around them. I love that. Such, such wise uh, counsel, almost like the guy who would lead a multi-billion dollar corporation would have <laughs> those skill sets. I love it. So, you know, I want to tell you a story about Clay Risk. I was, I was debating whether to tell you this, but I met him at Bonita Springs uh, First Presbyterian Church back in 21. I was, honored to be able to come and speak there as part of my speaking on my previous book. And he came up to me after um, we were signing books and, and he chatting with me and told me who he was. And, and Clay pulled a, his wallet out of his back pocket and he pulled from the wallet a piece of paper that he unfolded. And he was going through a hard time right then. He was going through some relationship issues and struggling and told me the whole story. And on that piece of paper, he had a whole bunch of scriptures that were promises written down. He gave it to me. I've got it in my desk drawer right now. And those promises, listener, were basically things that when Clay found life to be challenging and hard, and when he was losing hope, he would pull those out and read them and remind himself of things that are true. And that's what you just said a second ago, Johnny, like you, you know, some things that are true. You're anxious sometimes, and and the and those are based on some things that really happened. There's some things that are true, and you also know that you've got a faith family, and that your God is real, and that your children are still alive, and there are all these things that are really true. And that was just such an inspiring thing to me. Here's this you know this, this professional doctor, he's an anesthesiologist, who reminds himself with written word, and the word is alive and it's living and it's so powerful. So that's that's a that's a great example of how we can encourage ourselves based on remembering things that are true and pivoting. So I thought you'd appreciate that story about clay. Yeah, that's so that's classic clay. I I love that um, about him. And, uh, and it is really wise. I mean, there's scripture based on that, that I've, I have a a future plan for you, right? I mean, we know that that scripture is out there and, you know, I have to really keep that in mind for my own kids now at, at 23, 25 and 27. Yeah. That, you know, life has been hard for them medically, uh, for each of them. And I, I look at them and the challenges that they have, um, that they endure daily. And I am so 
proud of them for um, it. They've never fallen into the why me Um, in the darkest times that they've had. They've um, come through that with, you know, really beautiful messages and um, being willing to share with others. And, And my daughter's doing a lot of public speaking now on her own struggles with anxiety and perfectionism and, um, and the and the impact it's had on her life. And so, you know, there are plenty of others out there that no matter what the package looks like on the outside and what we think, and especially through social media today where people are just casting their best sites uh, forward, that we know that others are living in pain. And so, you know, the, the, the greatest way to help alleviate, alleviate that pain, pain is to, number one, identify with it for them and then look to yourself as a solution for them. And what can you offer them? Once you start saying those words to others that you don't live for yourself, I found this true for me that I start hearing myself saying it. And the more I say it, the more I believe it and the more I can internalize it. And it's easy to be a positive light for others. Not easy, but it's maybe sometimes you can say that, but when you have to do it yourself, um, it can become challenging. And I'm always challenging myself to say when I'm going down a rabbit hole, you know, Johnny, you know where this leads you. You know what you tell other people. Now it's gut check time. Are you going to be able to pull through this? And and I tell you that, Lee, from the darkest, darkest periods that my mind can get in when I just let it wonder. And when it's wondering that way in worry for the future and my kids' health, it's what it's going further from God That's right. and relying on him. And as soon as you reconnect that back in, oh my goodness, it feels so much better. And I think, ah, oh, I just wasted an hour and a half of energy um, and positivity that is now cellularly in me, right? Hurting okay. me. And what, what a waste of time. Doesn't mean that I don't do it again tomorrow at times. That's right. But my goal is to always catch it sooner, yeah. right? And and that's what we have to do is manage those thoughts. I think thought management is one of the hardest things to do because the billions and billions of thoughts that we have, my goodness, it's a full-time job. It, 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 it's a wonder for me, you know, that I can walk and chew gum uh, right. with as active as this mind is. But that's a challenge that uh, we all have to deal with. That's right. And that's why we call it, I mean, obviously it's corny, but we call it self-brain surgery because you really are. You said it a second ago, when you learn to change your thinking, you literally are changing the DNA of every cell in your body. And now we know from from all kinds of research studies, even in humans, that the way you think changes your, your cells, it changes your reproductive system, changes your generations after you. Like how you think changes your DNA. And it's so important to be in control of that. We, we hear in the Bible that, that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit inside us is learning control of ourselves. And that doesn't just mean not doing bad things. It means learning how to operate this amazing nervous system that God gave you in in a way that benefits you and others. It's a great, great lesson for us today. Johnny, I appreciate you writing the book, Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay. And I hope that our listeners will go get it. It's available everywhere books are sold. And by the way, the audio book is outstanding. Johnny narrates it himself, does a tremendous job. You ought to get it. It's one of those books that you ought to have in in print and audio because you can highlight and listen and go back and take notes. It's a great book. Um, Highly, highly recommend. Five stars, six stars if they had them. Uh, Johnny Serpilla, great job with the book. Thank you so much. What an honor to be with you today. And 
and I can't wait for your next book. Thank you. Hey, what's uh, what's going on with you today? There's uh, Encourage Thirty Three is a website. What are you What are you doing these days? So right now, what I do um, since I retired from uh, corporate world and really consider myself not retired but repurposed, um, my company is Encourage Five Eleven. So encourage one another and lift each other up, just as in fact you were doing. And when I was praying on that scripture, I thought there's clarity for me of what my company name is and what I'm going to do. And so. I am a professional board member. I serve on uh, public and private company boards, um, advising uh, executives and, and companies on strategy and development. I invest in a number of businesses. Uh, so kind of it, it's all laid out there on encourage33.com. I do a lot of public speaking, keynote addresses. Um, anytime I have the opportunity to talk to an audience, um, using, using the book as a baseline, but as you can see, it can go in so many different paths. Yeah. And I love talking about, uh, the life changing gift that we had of adoption. And so, um, really as an alternative, um, to uh, disposing of an unwanted pregnancy to using adoption as that gift that you give that changes lives. And, um, my goodness, I never thought that I'd grow up and uh, adopt a baby just was never on my mind. Yeah. I can't imagine um, our lives and, and Stone and Bella would say the same things without their big brother, Bo, in their lives. And so the power of adoption and that gift. Um, well, let me talk about it more. I love it. Wow. I love it. Another podcast to do. Hey, Johnny Serpilla, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an honor. I promise you 45 minutes. We're right at it. And we're going to, we're going to have this episode up in a day or two for everybody. But I just, I can't thank you enough for the life that you're living the way that you're showing the way forward for us after hard stuff. And, and thank you for writing and being vulnerable and, and the gift of your time today. Be blessed. I was so moved by Johnny's story, his passion, his energy, his heart. I can't wait to meet him in person. We're going to speak at the First Presbyterian Church in Bonita Springs in November in Florida. And uh, Lord willing, Johnny and his wife and Lisa and I and Clay Risk and his wife will be able to get together and meet in the flesh. Um, Johnny is one of those guys that I just know as soon as I saw his face, I just knew this is somebody that I am connected to. He's got the right kind of heart. And listen, friend, you can go through major trauma tragedy and massive things you can have a plan for what you're going to do when you hit those things and it'll be very helpful that's what my new book hope is the first dose is all about being ready for those big events so you're ready to pivot but it's all based on the faith that you have the hope that you have the ability to see that there's still light out there and know that there's a way to find it again and that's what johnny's story tells us so i hope you'll read his book Life is hard, but I'll be okay. By Johnny Serpilla, I'll put the links in the show notes. I'll also in the show notes, and I'll also put a link to his website. Trust me, it's worth the read. It's worth the time. Encouraging, inspiring, uplifting story of what to do when life brings you the hardest thing and how you can make it through. Listen, friend, I'm really grateful for the time that you spend and invest in this show. And I'm going to continue trying to bring you valuable guests and valuable content. And I love the fact that so many of you have come alongside as paid subscribers to help us take it to the next level. There are numerous advantages of being a paid subscriber to the show. Check it out. I'll put a link in the show note. But for, for now, we have a new program, a referral program. 
where you can get other people to sign up for the free self-brain surgery newsletter. And if you get other people to sign up, we'll give you free months of access to the paid content, all the archives, 800 episodes, video content, special episodes that aren't available to anybody else, and all kinds of things that you can have access to just for the little bit of effort of helping other people find the good news of self-brain surgery. So click on the referral links. It says refer a friend button on the website, on the show notes that you'll see here with this episode. And you can find other people who need to learn that you can't change your life until you change your mind. And by helping those folks find their way to the pro- to the program, you'll be able to get free access to the paid content. So that's a pretty fair trade. Don't forget to pre-order. Hope is the first dose. It's coming out July 18th, wherever books are sold. And please check out Johnny Serpilla's incredible book, Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay. It's worth your time, my friend. Listen, we love you. We're praying for you. Don't forget the prayer wall. And most importantly, don't forget that you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.